All right, so today's day one of starting a new Sunday school or Bible study series um, that uh, Stephen and I are going to teach. Um, and it's called Councils and Thoughts for the Spiritual Life of Believers. I briefly introduced this uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, but just for those who aren't, didn't get to hear it, um, written by a man named Thomas More. Uh, not much is known about Thomas More. You're not going to find uh, extensive writings by the man, um, at least that I'm aware of. Uh, he was an elder who served with Charles Spurgeon. That's probably his fame by association. Um, mine is I served with Aaron Wright. All right, so um, <laughs> this is... <laughs> I didn't mean it to sound the way that it did, uh, but um, it's, it's an excellent book. It's one of those that you read and you find yourself needing to buy extra highlighters. It's so quotable. Um, and um, there, we do have copies in the bookstore if you're interested in getting. You know, the way we're going to walk through this, it's not like I'm going to say, hey, we're, we're going to be on chapter so-and-so to this week or next week we're going to be on this chapter um, because these this book is broken into into parts um, really four main parts and um, as the topic is it's his counsels it's his thoughts on you know how we go and really the title that we came up for this series walking in newness of life and so the what we would call it chapters could be three pages it could be a page and a half um it's it's just on how he groups and talks about these um ways that we interact the lord and should be uh, depending upon him daily as we walk through life so enough of that here's the book there's copies in the bookstore if you're interested solid ground christian books is the publisher i mean if if we happen to run out we'll get more but um, they deliver pretty quick. So, counsels and thoughts for the spiritual life of believers. Um, so, chapter one is entitled, To the Believer, on living in the unclouded enjoyment of covenant blessings. Living in the unclouded enjoyment of covenant blessings. Uh, you know, this was written in the late 1800s, so our titles got a little bit stretched back then. But, we need to be reminded to live joyfully in Christ in understanding these finer details, things that we touched on this weekend in the conference, right? Um, these covenant blessings that we have. Uh, what this title alone reveals to us is the permanence of these blessings because they are bound by covenant. All right, there's promises, there's threats, there is... God who's instituted it and keeping it. So it's bound by covenant. So this came up this weekend. Um, the first question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, what is the chief end of man? Well, and to enjoy God um, and uh, to, to glorify God and enjoy him forever, right? That is man's chief end. Um, different catechisms have different starts to that. But the one that's most memorable, I would say, is the shorter catechism by Westminster. Glorify God 
Enjoy him forever. Enjoy him in those covenant blessings, even. Christ did not die just merely to make salvation possible for sinners. And for the elect of God. But he did it so that we could even have life now and have it abundantly. He said, Christ said in John chapter 10, he said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Are we living abundantly, even in the hard times that we're called to count joy, right, by James? So there's a question here, and I want to try to draw you in on some of these things. So um, I know we haven't really done that a lot, especially going through Jeremiah, um, but I want to try to make this more interactive. So question here, besides securing salvation, what other blessings in this life do we enjoy by Christ's death? What are things that come, what other blessings besides salvation do we enjoy in this life, this side of heaven? Say that again? The indwelling Holy Spirit. Wow, yes. Fellowship with the saints. We have that not only um, good things to talk about, but we are brothers and sisters. Um, we have that kinship there. Any other ideas? Let's say that one more time. Comfort in times of trial. Yes, because they're coming. They're, we know the Lord uses those, but he comforts us in those times of trial. These are indeed blessings that we have in this life, made possible by Christ's death. There is the perseverance that we're given in faith to the end. He will keep us to the end. There are going to be times when it seems like maybe God isn't around. We know that's not true, but it feels that way. Um, it could be not because of even of our own sin. Often it is, but God, it could be those times where God is using us, uh, using these opportunities to draw us to him, and he keeps us. He, we persevere to the end. We have that promise to, that we will be kept to the end. Um, and that we're made in righteous, the righteousness of God made in Christ. You know, these are all wonderful things that we have in, the, in terms of blessings in this life now. Well, part of the covenant reality is that he indeed did die, um, not to make salvation possible, but to make it certain um, for all that the Father gave him. We know that sometimes we'll read a verse and it says might. Um, we know from scripture itself and the context and uh, where it is explicit that his salvation is effectual to all that the Father has given him. There is no possibility for those whom Christ died and whom the Father gave, we will be saved. It is a certain thing. His death ensures that all 
such shall receive grace to repent and believe and persevere to the end. And as parents, what a blessed hope and truth that is. So, a few things that uh, Moore brings out in this first chapter um, talks about how does Christ's death ensure all of this and ensure the, the perseverance to the end, these covenant blessings. Well, one of the first things he calls out is that these sufferings, the sufferings and death of Christ, they were a real atonement. There was true satisfaction that was made. In Hebrews 9, and I think it was Bodhi touched on this paragraph in Hebrews. Uh, verses 9, uh, 15 through 17, if you have your Bibles, you can go there. Hebrews 9, verses 15 through 17. It says, Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. And what did we do but die in Christ? We did, and we were raised to walk in newness of life with Christ. And that atonement was made real. And it is effectual for us because of Christ's death, because of Christ crucified. Um, another thing, another point, another reality, that in making it Christ, making it, that is, his, his death, and his effectual death, he became the substitute of those whom he came to save. Uh, this is um, that, that substitutionary atonement that Vodi talked on, um, mentioned just this weekend. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness, righteousness of God. That's that double imputation that was mentioned. Our sins counted toward him and his righteousness counted toward us. Um, so we have real atonement in Christ's death. It's, it's important to know Christ died for you, but what happened? You know, again, uh, I really appreciate the way Bodhi walked through some of this stuff. But just by um, providence itself, it's dealt with in what we're going to deal with this morning in, in our Sunday school. He made real atonement, and it was a substitutionary atonement that was uh, made for us. Number three, another reality, that as such, he bore the penalty of their transgressions. It was penal substitutionary atonement. There was satisfaction made. In Isaiah 53, verse 5, it says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. That is penal substitutionary atonement. With his wounds we are healed. You know, that's nonsense to the world. That is. It's as nonsense as the cross. 
to the world, but it is life to us. Um, a fourth thing, another reality, that in so doing, because of Christ's um, death, Christ crucified, in so doing, he made ample satisfaction to the demands of the law and to the justice of God. Um, that becoming the just and the justifier. Matthew 5, 17, Christ himself says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to what? Fulfill them. He came to fulfill them. These demands of the law were satisfied in Christ on our behalf. That, that active obedience that, and that resulting righteousness counted toward us. Um, well, I can't remember what we were going through for uh, what Sunday School series was, but I, I made a, a graph and it charted, you know, as best we can as human beings, you know, that point in time when we are converted, right, where these things are made effectual for us and these blessings that some of you have noted. And then you have this line that goes kind of like this, hopefully trending upward, right? This line that's going up and it is trending upward. Uh, but it's bouncing up and down. That's our, our sanctification, right? And, but that was what we're re realizing in terms of we have now in the flesh, the side of heaven. But all along, at that point of conversion, positionally, in Christ before God, we are right here with Christ in terms of righteousness. That is what has been made real for us in Christ crucified. These are the blessings, these covenant blessings we need to be walking and enjoying and reminding ourselves of. Um, thus, he writes more, an actual reconciliation has been made between Christians and God, between us and God. His, his death was a sacrifice for sin. As we walk through Exodus, it's been a couple years now, I think. Um, the, he, Christ is the great antitype of the Mosaic sacrifices. He is what those sacrifices pointed to, meaning the antitype here. Um, his shed blood, what did it do? It purchased the church of God and brought such remission of sin where we see guilt, guilt, friends, that we carried around, guilt and condemnation. It, it's taken away it's taken away and we are made at one with God we don't carry that guilt anymore well we have again sorrow over our sin and again we pray it's always a godly sorrow and we do grieve the spirit in that sin um, we'll talk a little bit about forgiveness this morning as time allows but um, these are the blessings we need to be reminding ourselves of, especially when we're hurting or we're encouraging someone else. The covenant blessings, these blessings for us to enjoy, they include everything that's necessary for full, for final and complete salvation. It's all, all the power is in Christ's capable hands to keep us there. In his high priestly prayer, Jesus, he acknowledged to the, to the Father 
In John 17, he said, Since you have given him, speaking of himself, authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. So our covenant blessings are insured. They are insured. They couldn't be more insured. All right, another question. So why is it essential for possessing a certainty of our salvation? Why are we even talking about this? The need to be reminded of these covenant blessings. Why is it essential for us to, when I say essential, obviously not for our salvation, but so important in our walk with Christ to have this certainty of salvation? Why is it so important? Why has it been so important for you? times that are difficult there sometimes feels like there's a separation between us and God we know that's not possible in terms of um, our security in Christ but you know when we were feeling especially his chastisement you know reminding ourselves of these things is a spiritual comfort and we can forget it. I, I talk to um, faithful men and women and who are going through difficult times. And sometimes just the hand on the shoulder and reminded of being reminded of what we, that, that God is there with them through this, all these blessings that we have, how he does use these, these times, you know, Sometimes there's a time for talking and sometimes there's for listening, but being reminded of these blessings is a comfort to us. It's essential for us. And if we doubted, if maybe if we looked at this from the negative point of view, what if we didn't have that certainty? Um, what, what if it was, again, you know, hammered so hard recently, but based upon our worthiness of it or our performance if you will you wouldn't you can see why the Catholics come up with some of their things yeah right Many things, he writes in, in, in his book here, many things will tend to surround our consciousness of our, our mind and heart regarding our position in Christ. Uh, things that, uh, of clouds, he writes, clouds of darkness and doubt. Come circle our minds as believers, these clouds of darkness and doubt. And these things will succeed in driving doubt in our minds and in our hearts unless we are firmly built upon 
the true foundation. And that is Christ crucified. Friends, I know it is, seems so 101 elementary Christianity. But we're always going to be going back to the gospel for our hope and strength. Now, that doesn't mean we're just saying, Christ died for you. you, you here's the bad news, the good news. It's, it's the realities that the gospel has made true. It's what he has done, again, reminded that it is a sure thing. It is secure. And it is that foundation that we've got to remember, Christ crucified, his death, what it is secured. Peter says in 2 Peter 1, verse 10, Brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Um, and one of those qualities is um, that trust that you put in, in the Lord. And not doubting. Not doubting. How can we be diligent in confirming our calling and election? You ever thought about that? When you read this verse, we are commanded to make it um, confirm your calling and election. So how can we, as believers, help to confirm our calling and election? That daily walk, that going to the source daily, like you mentioned, uh, and what's the roots drawing nutrients from, right? That's a good analogy, Tim. Okay, yeah. And it is upon that foundation of Christ crucified. Again, it's foolishness to the world. Um, we can help this friends, by, you know, God's provided his ordinary means of grace. He, um, he's provided his more ordinary means of grace. And what are those again? Now from our confession, there's four of them. There's the ministry of the word, okay? There's the sacraments, the Lord's Supper, baptism, and prayer. Um, other Christian traditions have some more. But those are the ones that, that we um, identify. But even heeding Paul's command to think upon such excellent things. Now, what are we feeding 
you know, our, in our daily walk? What are the things that we're drawing our minds to and thinking upon? Are we caught up in bitterness? Are we upset with, you know, a, a brother and sister in Christ for something that probably was not done personally? So often it's not. Um, he talks about in Philippians chapter 4, these foundational teaching of Christ crucified. Uh, so thinking upon these things so that when doubt makes its initial appearance, when it first starts to creep in, it can be more readily extinguished. If we are thinking about these things, these excellent things, um, and those are those fiery darts the devil likes to throw at us, right? We have strength renewed when we think about what Christ's death on the cross delivers to us. And we'll go to more of that later. One of the greatest obstacles uh, to the spiritual life of the child of God is a state of continued doubt about one's state of salvation. Okay? About where is someone positionally before God? And I, again, I don't just mean whether or not he's going to heaven or not. Uh, the state of doubt, you know, however subtle it may be, it has a tendency to weaken us as believers, uh, weaken us for everything that is good. For everything that is good, it seeps in, and, and it can lay us open um, for those ensnaring influences of the world. I think that's how he puts it, even in his book. Um, there are those spiritual enemies that we have, which the world, or flesh, the devil, right? You know, this doubt that if it's not initially extinguished has the tendency to um, preventing us to lay claims to the promises of grace in the time of need. You know, either we don't think about it because, well, we haven't been thinking about it, or we are distorted in our in what we understand or are thinking about it. You know, we so often doubt the love of our Father in heaven. We really do, and, and that's a travesty, and it does him no honor. Those very things that in Christ that became our rightful portion. Now that is some powerful language right there. We have a rightful portion to these spiritual blessings because we are in Christ. Something that can't be taken away. Wow. A rightful portion. Those are things to boast about. Right? Those are things to boast about. Our trials are made harder when we doubt. The cares of life they become more of a burden. You know, a shadow is cast over every earthly good, it seems, sometimes, uh, making our present circumstances joyless uh, and our future hopeless. That's what doubt can do. There's no joy in the world. There's no joy in spiritual things. Thick clouds above, deep waters beneath. I like the way he put that on that one. Thick clouds above, deep waters beneath. It's, it can even border on despair when we let doubt have its way. Oh, we have to be on guard for those things. 
So how can doubt manifest itself in our lives? How can it come to the surface? How do you see it in your own life? How can these things come about? You know, one way is when we, when sin is long entertained, when sin is long entertained, um, and even worse when we know about it, right? When we know that there's sin that's been long entertained, a hardening can occur. Um, and, and we are not putting on that armor that we're supposed to be putting on to extinguish those fiery darts and dialects come in. We're not resting and enjoying those covenant blessings. You know, again, the topic of what we have this morning. What's another idea? How does can doubt come in? Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, brother said we grow cold in our prayer life. Um, our communion with the Lord is become more and more far apart between instances. That's a good one. Yeah. You know, related to what I'd mentioned about sin long entertained is the fatherly chastisement of the sin that has been entertained. That chastisement can be unexpected. And then even sometimes seems um, undue, perhaps even unfair. Um, sometimes we can feel, if we're weak in our faith, that we are maybe out of favor with God. These are all lies, of course. But when we don't expect that God's going to chastise us, yeah we can start to doubt things like this because, you know, depending where you are in your walk with the Lord, you, you may think that it's all wonderful once you become saved and in terms of there's no more problems. There's no problems with my sin, even. Um, and related to that is the ignorance of the character of God. That's another way that doubt can manifest itself in our lives. We don't really understand God's goodness, his justice. We don't understand what I mentioned a moment ago, his fatherly love. We doubt it in some way. Suffering a great loss is another way that doubt can come in. Um, a terrible experience that often brings unanswered questions. Doubt can seep in that way. Um, and there's the, a lack of wisdom as well. Uh, James chapter 1 talks about that. You know, we've gone over that recently. Um, our need to ask for wisdom as we encounter different things. These reasons, and some that you've mentioned, are all the more reason to be convinced of our need to remind ourselves regularly in a spirit of thankfulness what Christ's death secured for the saints. I want to share with you a, a sweet truth. Um, and again, there's a lot of them in this book, but on page four, um, 
Nothing can remove you from the safety of the refuge provided by the perfect work of Christ on your behalf. And it will be God himself who takes care of that. God takes care of that. But let it be yours, dear Christian, to take care that nothing prevents you from fully enjoying the comfort and peace of that refuge. You have to protect that. You know, don't let your prayer life become cold and so intermittent. Your time in the Word. You know, thinking about things that are not profitable. Let it be yours to take care that nothing prevents you from enjoying that comfort and peace, the refuge we have in Christ. No failure of yours, no failure of yours can remove you from that refuge. That is a blessed promise we have in the covenants. No, there's nothing that can remove you from that refuge, the promise of that. For in Christ crucified, again, our foundation... Every sin to the end of your life is taken into account, and it's fully arranged for. And it's completely put away. The guilt of Adam, the guilt of your actual sin, completely removed. No more condemnation in Christ. By his death, we are forever delivered. And as Scripture tells us the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Is there anything more precious? So, to combat doubts, to combat spiritual laziness, we must be diligent in our pursuit of God's ordered means of grace. And he gives us these opportunities. Um, And you cannot, one of the points I like he brings out in this first chapter, um, is we can't store up this grace for future use. Now, let me explain. It's not like, it's kind of like the manna in the wilderness. You couldn't go out and get two days worth unless it was, you know, Friday, getting ready for the Sabbath. Um, You got what you needed for that day. You don't just think you can store it all up and I don't need to go back for a while. We cannot lay up a store of grace for future use. The Lord will have you to be a continual receiver from himself. He wants you to continue to come to him, acknowledging him in all your ways, depending upon him for everything, praying about everything in our life in accordance with his will. So he'll have you continue to come to him to be a continual receiver of himself and therefore he keeps your store of grace in his own hands in his own hands as it was first placed in his hands by our heavenly father second timothy chapter one but but it is well and good that we should lay up a store of sound doctrine and and our own spiritual experience, you know, living a holy life, so that in times of hardship, our soul knows fully well, or knows well, of its standing and refuge in Christ. 
in Christ crucified, in Christ risen. So, confess your sins. All your known, confess your known sins to your Heavenly Father. Deal with them. Deal with them sincerely, with a godly sorrow. Uh, we must look upon our salvation as a, something that has been accomplished once and forever. And these benefits that we have to walk in these struggles, to walk a holy life made secure and available to us. And living in accordance with these facts and truths that we know. God loves us. He loves his son. And he loves us notwithstanding all the, the changes and perverseness even, unworthiness of the saint. Um, let's see here. I think I can get through this next little section here. Uh, he talks about also in this first chapter our fitness for heaven. Uh, again, one of those, you know, as we're talking about these spiritual benefits that we have that we need to be holding on to, realizing and enjoying these covenant blessings, we need to recognize our fitness for heaven. You know, as a believer, we are already fit for the inheritance that is promised in the gospel, that is, as a believer. We are made fit for an eternity in heaven already. Colossians 1, verse 12 says, Giving thanks to the Father who has, now this is the operative word, who has qualified you, qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. We have already been qualified. You know, that the Spirit, one of the blessings that was mentioned, that seal that we have, until that day of coming home. We have been qualified. It's a done deal, regardless of the day-to-day -day struggles that we have that may cause us to long for being made perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. Yeah, that our conformity to Christ. We have been qualified. Our qualification for heaven, he goes on and talks about um, that's been granted, that's been made by God himself. He, 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 he mentions that it's a twofold nature to our qualification. Um, we are qualified for heaven both legally and we are qualified spiritually. All right, so our legal qualification, and it comes by having the claims of the divine law against us fully satisfied. Legally. Law has been fully satisfied. This is a perfect legal righteousness made for and provided for us. Okay? And there's going to be more implications of this, probably not this week, God willing, next week. Well, I preach next week um, after that. Um, but this perfect legal righteousness made and provided for us. And again, as we've heard it put, just as we have never sinned and just as if we've always done what is right. Now, our spiritual qualification, the second part, our spiritual qualification is found in that we have been made new. We have been made new. New creations in Christ. 
And since having been regenerated by the Holy Spirit and made alive spiritually, we have now the capacity to enjoy spiritual things. Our qualification is a legal one and a spiritual one. We have the capacity to enjoy spiritual things, spiritual things like heaven itself. All right? Who would welcomes the Lord's return today? You know, I don't even ask that ask for a show of hands. It's because of what we have been that qualification God has put into us. We long for these things. A legal and spiritual qualification made fit for heaven, which was an act of grace alone through Christ alone, and the Holy Spirit's his his quickening work upon our dead hearts. Him applying Christ toward us. To put it simply, and this is where we'll close, to put it simply, without legal qualification, we could not enter heaven. And without spiritual, spiritual qualification, we would not enjoy heaven.